0: I was a bit of shamed. I said, yes, I married to a Māori. People look down at you. Oh, look at this girl. She married to a Māori.
2: I know? think it's the same for us growing yeah. up, and not being Indian enough in an Indian household, and yeah. not being Māori enough in a Māori household. <laughs> You're just in the stereotypes constantly.
3: Kia ora. We're your hosts, Julie. And it. We travelled around Aotearoa with our soundy Joey, meeting immigrant Fano, listening to stories and discovering what is said or not said between different generations.
4: These stories warmed our hearts and broke our hearts and over this series we invite you two to listen in on conversations with my immigrant parents.
3: This episode we are in windy, stormy Wellington to hear from Halima Stewart and two of her kids, Herini and Kirihika. Halima is Fijian Indian, and she met and fell in love with Bruce Stewart when she was 22 and Bruce was 57. Bruce was a legendary man. He was known for founding Tapu Teranga Marai in Island Bay, Poneke.
4: Bruce passed away in 2017, and although Halima and Bruce split up about 20 years ago, you can hear she still has a lot of love for him. We'll also hear from Halima's middle child, Hirini, who is 26 and works part-time, and her youngest, Kirihika, who is 19 and works as a Kohanga Reo teacher.
2: My mum is Halima Stewart. She was born in Fiji in 1970. She's from a little town called Suva. Her mum and dad are also from Fiji, Fiji Indian. Her dad's still alive. He's like a really hard-working guy, but he's quite old in age and her mum passed away when she was about 22. So mum moves here, how many years ago? Like 1992, around then, From yeah. 91, 92. Yeah, 91, 92. But she had met my dad in Fiji first and then my dad moved her over here and they had my older sister. And then out came my brother, like a year after her. And then me, like seven years later.
1: I feel like out of the three of us kids, even though I'm not her favourite, she's my favourite. <laughs> if that makes sense. And yeah, nah, mum's awesome. Definitely the softie out of the two parents that we had. Oh yeah. You ask mum for anything, doesn't matter which kid you are, doesn't matter where you are, you can get it. You know, mum will make sure, yeah. You get
2: it. She's a very hard-working person. She's up at, like, 5am and then sleeping at, like, 12, just full-on working. She's super kind and she has such a big heart. She sees a stranger on the street who's looking for a house and she'll just let them sleep in her place and help them find a place.
1: She'll get attached to them and then they'll become family and then it just widens her family a bit and her contacts, so she's got...
2: Yeah, I have so many aunties and uncles <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they,
1: they aren't blood related, just mum's mates. Or, yeah. And we just grew up knowing to call an older Indian person either auntie or uncle.
0: I'm the mother of three kids. And my kids, Harini Shamim Stewart, Kirihika Neha Stewart and Pare Shahida Stewart. Hirani Stewart, he's such a humble boy that it's very rare to find a boy like him. He has got a lot of knowledge about his Maori tanga where he lives on the Marae. He took a lot of responsibility on a very young age and he always supported his dad, his disabled dad to go around. Kirihika, she's pretty spoiled girl. She's a very demanding. She's a mummy's girl. She always tries to speak to me in Hindi. It's my own language. Where my other two kids, they speak English quite often. And wherever she goes, she wins people's heart. Pare, Pare is my oldest daughter. I can control these two other kids, but I can't control Pare because she's quite stubborn in her way. But I still love her a lot as well.
1: from my understanding of the little stories growing up from how mum and dad met, it was pretty much like Tinder, but back in the day Tinder, I guess you'd say.
2: So my story that I heard from dad (laughs) was back when mum was looking for a husband, she put an ad in a newspaper and she had like just a standard photo of you but like head to toe, she had no shoes on, had a bunch of fake gold on, skimpy dress. <laughs> and in the details it said, oh, I'm like one. <laughs> I love gold, come from a, like an average wealthy family and mm-hmm. down to earth. And yeah, dad fell in love with the no shoes. And then <laughs> it just kind of went from there and that's when the latest start. So yeah, old school Tinder, eh, mum? I don't think mum knows what
1: Tinder is. No. <laughs> but yeah, something I remember, something that resonates with me hard out, which was what mum said, that she was homesick for two years. I remember a story dad telling us mum was the only Indian around and in probably the whole of Island Bay. So, <laughs> So he wanted her to not feel so homesick. So what he did was he took her to one of the dairies, which he noticed would always cook curry. So <laughs> they were obviously Indian and then... Dad took mum there and made the connection that they were both from Fiji and familiarise yourself in a foreign country, I guess.
0: No, he tried to take me there, but what the problem was that everywhere he take me was people from India and we don't speak the same language.
1: But he tried. <laughs> yeah,
0: and then I couldn't eat food here, New-, New Zealand food. Not spicy enough. No, not spicy enough, plus <laughs> I didn't know the names of any curry powders and things like that in English. Because I always bought them. Yeah, I know. That's what happened. He tried to take me in every restaurant he could to see if mom likes the curry. And I wasn't <laughs> eating those curries at all because they were made from different spices. Well, slowly, slowly, when I was first feeling homesick on the Marae, Bruce tried his best to take me everywhere. He could that I can speak my own language. Two years I couldn't speak my own language around here. I couldn't speak English very well at that time. I never knew what homesick means at that time. I just say hello, hi to everyone and then move on. Slowly, so when my kids were born, then I started feeling home. At Taputeranga was my home.
4: So built in the 70s, Te Ranga stood as a place to belong for numerous Maori from Naho Efa, welcoming people from all different backgrounds. Unfortunately, a fire caused Te Ranga to burn down in 2019. And you can hear more about Te Ranga in the first episode of Hekaka Noaho, another RNZ podcast hosted by Kahu Kutya.
0: I wanted you guys to have an Indian name and he wanted a Maori name. Yeah. Right? So we had to have a battle there. Mm. And Dad said, okay, you choose a name. Pare was very lucky to get Bruce's mother's name and uh, my mom's name. And Hereni was lucky, he got Dad's name. Right, Hereni. Mm-hmm. And
2: Kirihika, when it comes to Kirihika. I got someone off a movie. Let's yeah. just say that. <laughs> I didn't get a nice meaningful name. I got Neha, who was a <laughs> Bollywood star at the time that my mum likes. I love that name. But my always. first name's my iwi. yeah, or I'm, my hapu.
0: I'm pleased that you guys learn Hindi in Hindi language.
2: I think I speak the best out of it. I think
1: yeah, Kiri a- Ki- Ki- is definitely the most fluent in Hindi, me probably being the second. I can understand it. It's just I was a little bit discouraged to speak it. The same reason mum was saying when um, when you were reading us books and dad would laugh at you a little <laughs> bit for your pronunciation. While yeah, my, we
2: still mock mum a bit. Of course you The Indian
1: family did the same to me when speaking Hindi, so it discouraged me a little bit whenever you try to practice a word someone's laughing at you.
2: I, I grew up with mum for the first five years of my life. I spoke... You Hindi, a, Hindi lot. a lot, I speak... Because all the family around me was Hindi. But I still went to Kohanga, so I still spoke Te reo. But I would go to the mosque with mum um, every Sunday and do Sunday classes. Oh. Yeah. But they weren't real classes. They were just, like, colouring in um, alibata and stuff. <laughs> yeah.
0: When you mix up with the different cultures, my background is a Muslim... And they never used to accept another culture. In my family, the first thing they asked was to convert in Muslim. If he wouldn't convert in Muslim, they would have let him go from there. So he said, "Halima, because of you, I have to do that."
1: Right. It was just a word to him, though. You yeah, know. It, it was, was just a saying, word. Yeah, to him. he never followed he, that. Yeah. He he was mouldy to to the bone, you know. Yeah, was...
0: but he always he always helped me. When you were born, I shaved the head. I did everything. I did all the prayers in Muslim. He always sit there. But I remember taking him out to other places. He was sitting on his own, like Indian places. They won't come and talk to him. Mm. In a way, I will say, I was a bit of shame, you know, when I, I said, yes, i married to a Maori, people look down at you. Oh, look at this girl, she married to a Maori.
2: You I know? think it's the same for us growing yeah. up. You know, not being Indian enough in an Indian household and yeah. not being Māori enough in a Māori household. <laughs> you're just in the stereotypes constantly. Yeah. With the Indian family, you're like, a, oh, you're a dirty Māori, blah, blah, blah. And the Indian family, oh, like a bud bud as well. I'd get caught a lot with my family.
1: Curry muncher. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. I, we didn't realise it was racism at the time. At that, that time, we didn't. It, t- yeah, tell you oh, guys I was like four. I didn't yeah. know what racism was. I just thought it was normal to be a bit different. Yeah. And, you know, I'm really light-skinned for an Indian. You know, everyone thought I was this beautiful little girl. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, how'd you get your children so light and stuff yeah. like that? <laughs> so my dad was as pale as a China doll. Yeah. <laughs> like, I look like my parents, but if you looked at us together, we don't really look. <laughs> like, my mum's dark, my dad's super white, and <laughs> me and my siblings are kind of in the middle.
0: Yeah, I think he felt it a little bit too that... um People is not welcoming
2: him.
1: Yeah.
0: It wasn't easy life for me to step into a Maori and for him to step into a Muslim.
2: You were very well respected on the Marae by Maori, though. Oh, very
0: well, to be honest. All the strength I had where I'm standing today is because of your dad. Wherever I fell down, he always made sure I stood up.
2: How did you feel about us going to Kurakaupapa? Oh, you know, the first time
0: Pare and um, Hirini went to the South Island.
1: I didn't get to go. No, Hirini didn't get no, to no. go. I was crying my forward. eyes out. I yeah. remember that. I didn't get to go.
0: Yeah, and Pari went there. That's
2: what you get for starting school. And for. I
0: cried all the time because I never let my kids go out.
2: Oh, shit, Mum didn't let me go out till I was, like, 14. <laughs> yeah, because it's the I wasn't even allowed to walk down the road to the dairy yeah, by myself. Yeah, but because
0: I brought up that way. We were not allowed, the girls were not allowed to go by well, herself.
2: It's, it's pretty scary in Fiji, walking yeah. alone. <laughs> yeah. There's just people walking on the sides of the road with machetes <laughs> and... Yeah,
0: no, no, it was very fear of fear life in Fiji I had. And when I came to New Zealand, I had same sort of fear life for dead. We used to go out to Wairarapa a lot. And Dad loves bushwalks, right? And when he takes me two, three hours out of Wairarapa, I get so scared, so scared whether we were going to come out from here or not because I've never grew up that way. Dad always say, Halima, don't worry, I'm with you, don't worry. But I still sit in the car and lock all the doors.
2: Yeah, I can tell, like, when I went to Fiji with you last year, you wouldn't even let me talk to a Fijian. (laughs) Let alone walk on the street. But when I went with my friend this year, um, we just went everywhere. We went to Kuala'i Suva, which is somewhere where mum wouldn't let me go last time because it's full of Fijians. Yeah. <laughs> There's just so much intergenerational trauma when it comes to Fijian and Fijian Indians. And same with dad. Um, not being able to speak Māori growing up, it was all because of intergener- intergener- intergenerational trauma and colonisation. But it's a bit different for mum. You guys don't really track your ancestry or your papa,
1: mm.
2: So, yeah, mum can't go back, like, four generations, whereas...
1: They don't see India as home, even though they're full-blooded Indians. Yeah. Fiji is home for them, even though they have no yeah. Fijian blood at all. That we know of. <laughs> that we know of. It's only been, like, four generations. Yeah, short. and
2: dad, we can go back 23 generations. I can go back to the I first person. M-
1: my daughter, 24... Yeah. 24 generations back with my. Can daughter. go back
2: to the first person who landed in in, in, Aotearoa, in Aotearoa, Aotearoa from Hawaii. Yeah,
0: but we did we didn't been you know thought we only know about grandparents and great <coughs> grandparents yeah. that's all. That's all we know. We didn't know which part of India we came from.
2: And it hasn't even been that long. It's less than 100 years. Yes, yeah. That you guys have been 1800 years something 1800 2ish 100 years. I think what I'm unpacking now on my Indian side, I'm just trying to, like, I really, really need to know where I'm from. It's always been a thing for me. And, you know, mum not knowing her Papa is really hard for someone like me, who's Māori, and their Papa is such a big part of them. Yeah, not knowing where I'm from, from mum's side is, it's hurtful in a way, because I just want to know who my tepuna are. But going back to Fiji these last few years by myself with my mates and with mum have been really healing in lots of different ways and I just really want to revive that culture for my kids because Pari, though she's Indian, she doesn't have the same love for the culture as I do. You know, that's also her being so strong in her Māori beliefs which is a good thing but like I really want to acknowledge um, mum's side of myself and you know even though I have tamoko I speak real very fluently. I do speak Hindi but I can't really write (laughs) but yeah there's heaps of loss and there's heaps of hurt coming from mum's side and I have in the last few years started speaking up and involving myself in more outside spaces, um, representing both Indian and Māori without not acknowledging the other, if you get what I mean. The new group I'm in to bring Māori and Muslim women together. Lots of fundraising, especially for the mosque shooting, which mum's uncle was a victim of. So yeah, just really wanting to better both our lives, both Māori and Indians. Even in high school, there was so many racism towards Indians. It, it was horrific, like, there were just signs on the wall that said, hey, like, if you need to talk about racism, blah, 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 come to this group. And then people would, like, tag on the sign saying, Muslims are terrorists, blah, 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 blah. And just seeing that, taking it to the um, school board and no one would do nothing about it, They said, oh, it's just kids being kids, you know. You know, I'm sitting there like, you're talking about my mum and you saying kids just being kids is horrific in that sense because for them it's obviously racism passed down through the generations. It doesn't just start with the kids. It always starts with their parents and then their grandparents and what they've been brought up as. I'm just trying to heal the... Not necessarily the migration of the Muslims here, but the ones that are here now and call our their home. Like my mum, I need them to be safe. And I need us as Maori to be safe and to be getting, you know, everything we need in this westernized and Pakia world. That's what I'm
3: doing. <laughs> When Kirihika is talking in this bit when we were listening to her in the room I was like so putting myself back kind of in my school days or whatever and you know she says like some of the words that she was called I think that probably all her siblings were called at school and I got called some of those same things and it's like has been really hard to be South Asian in New Zealand for a really long time and just kind of She outlines it all so well, but like, makes me think about times where you lean into different parts of yourself in order to get by easier. I don't think you have to be mixed to do this. Like Everyone does this in Mm -hmm. different ways. You know, I guess it's a form of code switching. It's like, what side of yourself do you show? But it also makes me feel like, oh, so heavy. When I hear someone else doing it and having to do it because it's just such a shitty thing to do. You should be able to bring all parts of yourself. You shouldn't have to pick and choose. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I think on, like, a broader societal level maybe, I really appreciate how she, at the end there, kind of reimagines this mode of decolonization that does include both immigrant and Māori communities yes,
3: and that cuts out the
4: the conflict with Parkia that affects yes, all of us yes and I think that really just disrupts dismantles the dominant narratives that do always pit immigrants and Māori against each other I feel like what she's trying to reimagine
3: is beautiful. Do you think also that Kerehika and Herini and Pare would have just seen like a different they would have seen that through their mum because she migrated to New Zealand and came straight into like a Māori context and she bypassed the dominant Western culture here.
4: Yeah, I love that she bypassed Pākehā Yeah, and she said she just came straight from the plane to, to the marae. The marae. Yeah. Imagine if every one of us got to do that. So Halima and Bruce separated after Kirika was born in 2001. Despite this, they remained super close with Halima being really active at the Marae right up until it burnt down.
1: So there was that gap period, all right? Where well, you weren't Just wanted, around.
0: Well, nah, I never. We no, 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 always no, no, came no. to do the k 2 <laughs> no,
1: no, 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 no. You, for, for moved, a long you while, didn't move so. in
2: to the Marae until I was five.
1: Yeah, so so when, when I was about f- four, till I was about 12, Mum wasn't really around that much.
0: No, she no, but I was catering before. there all day. I don't lived yeah. on the Marae, but I was doing full catering. Sure. No, was, yes, because
1: that was when
2: you were working as um no, no, in the I,
0: hospital. Yes, but yeah. I was still coming here to do the catering as well. Really?
1: Not the whole time. Not the whole time. Yeah, majority so, of so, the time. So so when when Mum and Dad was split, I guess it was just normal. We were too young to know. They weren't toxic with each other. Mum had a toxic partner at the time, absolutely toxic. Smoking in the same house as kids, you know, doors closed, smoking in the same car as kids, swearing in front of kids like there's no end to it. Like, absolutely toxic. And I guess that, that made me judge my mum a bit for, I, I just kept wondering why would my mum, my lovely mum, with such a big heart, be with someone so vile and so toxic when when Dad's sitting there, you know, and he's a lovely person as well. Dad had a big heart. Mum had a big heart. Off the marae, and sorry for getting into this, Mum, but I think it goes back to the Muslim culture where it's very sexist. And the women are seen as a lot lesser slave. than men. Um, yeah, you could say slave, but yeah, lesser. And with, with Dad's whole growing up, And the way Māori think is also sexist, but the other way, the woman's a lot more important than the man. And yeah, I guess it was just odd, odd to see such a strong, kind-hearted woman with such a vile piece of shit. (laughs) I guess it's the nice way of saying it.
2: Really glad that
1: mum's with a really good guy now. Yeah, mum's with an awesome guy now.
0: I think that that is a religion thing, that uh, women were not supposed to speak back to the men. So that's why the relationship becomes sour, because me moving back to the Marai, I, I rather spend my time on to the Marai uh, than with him, because that's where the problem started. I couldn't leave the Marai, though I was moved on leaving Bruce behind, but I never leave the Marae in any ways. I knew that uh, things were not right. And sometimes being in a relationship teaches a lesson.
2: A very long one.
0: Yeah, no, it was, but you know that my life was with dead. 90% I spend my time on the Marae, then I spend in my own house. So that was something that not every person will like it. And when Bruce called, no matter what time, I have to be there.
1: Yeah. You get upset when you change Dad's bandages, right? You are his main nurse.
0: Yeah. I was everything for Dad. And I told him that I'd rather you stay or go, but I will not going to leave the Marai. And that's something some people can get ahead mm. easily, as you guys know that Marai was my first priority than anything. So that's that, know. You can't change anybody's mind. You can't tell people to be happy. You have to make a way to achieve something. Isn't it? Hmm? Mm-hmm. Is it or not? Yes. Yeah. So I think I've been always in my life, I've been an independent person. Independent woman. Independent woman, yeah, I will say. Mm-hmm. I've always learned something. I've never sit behind a man and wait. I do things what I wanted to do. And that's what Dad saw in me. That I can battle, just like your father can battle with anything, same as your mother.
2: You're a much more confident and open person than you were four years ago. You're much more accepting of other beliefs now. I Even your views on like LGBT. I remember like 10 years ago you said, if you were ever lesbian, I would disown you. And now that conversation coming up way more, you're so much more accepting of it.
0: Yeah, but the reason is, Kiri, the reason is our parents have to accept in every ways. I don't want to hate my kids. I don't want to hate my kids. I don't want my kids to go into... You know, the last word your father said to me when he was... He said, Mummy, I want to thank you for something. And I said, what? You bring up your kids beautifully. Right. That still says something. This says something with you guys coming up with Maori and Indian culture.
3: Teach us something. We love parents changing their views on queerness. And it's very nice to hear and I hope it keeps happening.
4: We love when parents or kids, anyone really can acknowledge that their views are shifting and all they really want is the best for the other person. We also had an interesting discussion about who was the favourite
2: in the family. OK, hello, my name is Kirika and I'm the favourite daughter, <laughs> or the favourite child. Dad has definitely said I'm his favourite, eh? Yeah. And mum, nah, no, uh, hey 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 hey, don't say nah. <laughs> but mum, I'm your favourite, eh? Yeah, of course you are. Nah. Yeah, <laughs> see, yeah. I'm definitely daddy's girl, daddy's girl, and mum's girl. But Hirani is definitely a mummy's boy. Patty is probably the most independent out of all of us. Like, I definitely still lean on mum sometimes, but I'm way more dependent than Hirani, eh? A. <laughs> I think the, in the other
0: way around. I will say, all the kids of mine. Every day there's a one phone call come from each of you.
2: Yeah, but who's Every day I'm your favourite though.
0: I think you all the best.
2: I think I'm just like the light of this family, <laughs> to be honest.
1: Growing up as the middle child and the only boy, I kinda accepted that I wasn't the favourite. And and it and it stood out. It the was least obvious. <laughs> the least favorite, let's say it like that. But in saying that I could still feel both my parents' love for me very much. I knew I wasn't the favorite. Kitty is definitely the favorite of both our mum and our dad. You can ask for honestly For mum, next would be putty over me. I don't know why, because I'm the boy. She's Muslim. I should be the favorite. Uh, I got no, no tattoos. As well. putty has to no, 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 work. no. What no, no. can why. I
0: say about this? <laughs> because in, normally in Muslim culture, boys always have to look after the parents. My grandma went back to their daughters to be looked after. You know, the son abandoned her, like they don't want to take responsibility, right? So I've always seen the boys, as soon as they got married, their wife means everything to them. I think that somewhere, Hirani, you are right, darling, yes, somewhere I didn't have that same love that... (coughs) I hate with these two in, in I didn't one say that. way. <laughs> that way, that like, you know, not a love wise like, you know, I think the favorite become these two girls. I think the other way around will be I'll say, I love pretty, pretty little, little things where I dress these two kids up like, you know, Hadn't pare, they got some like, <laughs> no, no, like, hidden a Kyokiri and Pare. ..will come up with Indian clothes since they were young. They never wear parkier clothes, <laughs> I will say.
1: You could have cross-dressed me.
0: I dress them up so they look... I don't know, for some reason, that boy feeling was taken away. I think by the generation of my own I've seen... ..that the boys don't look after the mother, you know. That something was in my head, but they uh, so. Sounds I, about right.
2: But if we come down, back to the question, yes, I am the favourite.
1: And I've accepted not being the favourite. <laughs> and that's alright. There are a lot of us out there, the unfavourites.
4: Are you the favourite? Yes.
3: <laughs> well, my sister's 17, so she's a she teenager. She must be the favourite. No. Baby of the family. Well, I don't know if you're a baby of the family when there's two of you. Right, I think you have to. There has to be more.
4: It sounds like your sister is
3: a twin. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know what I mean. But like, I feel like baby of the family when there's more than two siblings. Right. When there's just two of you, it's just like older and younger. Yeah. And I'm definitely the favorite because I'm less annoying than a seventeen-year-old most of the time.
4: I don't know which one of us is the favorite. Um, I definitely think my brother gets treated better than me. Does that make you the favorite? Yeah. Okay, he's the fave. kind
3: of the definition of the fave.
4: <laughs> he's a boy.
3: Mm.
4: He came second. Mm. In this next part of the podcast, Halima talks about how her life and her position on the marae changed after Bruce passed away.
0: When Bruce gone, things were turned over. I was the queen of the marae while he was alive. Everything goes under me. If I say, yeah, these things are going to happen, happen. Because he was a bedridden for almost quite a long time and I was running the whole business on my own. When the Mariah was gone, I didn't get any support from my two girls. Where I have never felt like my girls never stood up for me, never came to say, Mommy, how you feel? Tapu Teranga was my life. But things change now is something different where you two are just more independent doing things without discussing anything with mum and uh, with where the way Ernie is if he does anything he always for me this is I'm going to do this mummy I'm going to do that so i felt different
2: it definitely came down to like different views of where Mum stood on the marae, like, yes, she's definitely a huge part of it. But there were so many different little puzzle pieces that went into what made the marae. Like, I do acknowledge that she's a huge part of the marae, but more acknowledging where my dad stood and that solely it was his dream. And I think me and Pare really just live and drive for that dream and everything else is just, like, a second thought. And, you know, mum was a wreck for the first three months. She would cry every single day. And me and Paddy, not, like, closed off from emotion, but we just needed to get things moving and have things going for the marae. The third day in, and we were already cleaning up, and, you know, mum was still really hurt. Um, And at the time, it just wasn't something that we thought we could handle having to deal with another... Like, it was like a death of a person. It was the death of, like, our grandmother and dad's dream. Just not in a space. And at the time, I was only, like, 18, and I couldn't... You know, I'm still going through my own stuff. And then having to deal with your stuff as well Mm -mm. was just super hard at the time. But I do acknowledge you. I do really appreciate what you've done for the Marae and what you still do in the background. But yeah, you always have a special place in Dad's heart and in the Marae's heart. And you were like a core. All growing up, you were the core or Dad at the Marae. He did depend on you so much. But yeah, it's just like a new leaf now, starting from scratch. Yeah, from my point, yeah. it's
0: sort of a racism, which way I can describe it. I'm not Maori, that's why I've been left aside. Mm-hmm. I spent my 27 years at Taputaranga and losing that life was a huge, huge loss for me. Huge loss. It wasn't an easy loss. No one even mentioned that Halima lives at Taputaranga Marae. At the moment, Kiri, to be honest, I feel like that I've been raised The way it's been is like racism. That I'm Indian.
2: And I've been left aside. I do think, like, you have been left out, but I also think that there are some things that you can't really contribute to the marae. Like tikanga Māori obviously have to come from us. There are some things that other Iwi or Pākehā, etc. can't ever be able to contribute to the marae. Like a design of the marae, tōkotoko, tikanga, iwi. It's not just like words on a paper. It all comes down... To whakapapa and, you know, being Māori. But I do, yeah, I do feel like there's, it's now our time. You've been a part of the marae for ages. It's our time to, to carry Dad's dream on. Yeah, I understand that. But at the same time, if you look
0: at it, the work has been done there, right? The mahi has been done there right, for many, many years.
2: Uh, Is that not recognizable by Maori people? It's not that your work hasn't been recognized. It's that it's a new start now. Everyone thinks about it as a new start. I've always seen that I will be buried
0: here. That's what I've always thought.
2: I mean, you still can. There's no There's no one saying yeah. no. But I think the
0: way they have moved me away from the place was not the right way.
2: I think we're just moving, honestly, into different times now. You know, in 1970, you didn't really need a licence to build a house. But now, obviously, mm-hmm. things are different. We can't yeah, just no, no, build I a
0: ten-story support. I support in every way, but there's a way to deal with it. There's a way to work, move forward. There's a good, positive way to do it. I think when the kids stand next to you, you are a strong person. And when they don't, then you, you know, things might weaker.
4: For me this was one of the toughest moments, I think, recording uh, across the whole series. Just hearing this standoff between a mother and daughter and just being able to feel the huge pain on both sides.
3: Yeah. This is like one of the core things in the podcast to me is like capturing a conversation that is real. because. A lot of families have things that they don't agree on, things that they maybe will never agree on, and there's sort of not really anything to do.
4: I think one reason we were really interested in the Stewart family is uh, exploring this idea of having both Indigenous and immigrant whakapapa in the same family and what that means for your sense of belonging here on the spenua. You can really see how much Halema felt immersed in te Māori at Tapitiranga and how because this was like her world here in Aotearoa, like she came straight from the airport to mm-hmm. the marae, how much she felt that that was her home where she felt useful and needed. And I do think that for a lot of tauiwi or non-Māori here, migrants here, when we're trying to find a sense of belonging, we latch on to what can make us feel like we belong here. And sometimes that is te ao Māori or indigeneity because we want to feel like we are part of this whenua as well. That's where this like conflict or tension comes up because no matter how much tauiwi might want to feel connected to this land, we'll never have that whakapapa mm. connection in the same way. Mm. And it's really hard for people to acknowledge because they just want to feel like they're part of this.
3: It's different for Halima as well. Like, Halima came here when she was really, really young. She did not have anyone around her. She married someone who was very well-established and who knew themselves and their culture. I, I know that Bruce Stewart discovered a lot of things about his culture as he grew up, but I think Halima's situation is so singular because she was so young because she struggled so much in Fiji and because she came with someone who was so well-established in their community here. I obviously completely agree with Tauiwi not being able to claim this country and I don't think we ever should, but I also feel really empathetic towards Halima because of I can hear how close she felt to Tapu Teranga and how much it gave her um, and it's just it's really sad.
4: It's really hard because there's just so much genuine pain on all sides Mm. and all sides deserve our understanding. We can really see how hurt Halima is. Also how much harder it is for kids like Kiriheka and Hirini to know how to reconcile both their Indigenous and non-Indigenous part of their whakapapa without causing hurt for either parent.
3: I think that it was really brave of this family to have a discussion on the podcast about something that is currently difficult for them. A lot of the conversations that we feature on this series are about things that are still difficult, but we are often looking back at them or we are reflecting on them. We're inviting families to reflect on them, and I think the Stuart Farno really gave their time during a time that has been really hard.
1: Yeah, well, for me, being Māori, Scottish, Fijian, Indian, you know, Aotearoa is the only home. I I don't know Fiji as home. We get to meet the family every now and again, but I guess we're not that involved with them, you know. Even where they are over, you know, you don't talk about everything because you barely know each other. But I no, definitely feel home is here.
2: I, I'm a bit different. Like I I think home's Scotland, Ireland, Fiji, India even, and here. Like I, India as well. Yeah. I've always felt like India's my home. Like Scotland's my home. Ireland's my home. Fiji's my home. Just going back to Fiji within the last few years, like I would hands down live there. Like, I could live there. I, I've i even thought about, like, I really want to trace mum's whakapapa back so, you know, I can get the Vaikya that the woman get over there in Fiji. And yeah, there's such a big yearning in my heart to just be able to call all these places that my blood comes from my home. Um, I've always wanted, you know, just to embrace all parts of me, like, just saying my, you know, when I introduce myself, I note that I'm from all these places and make sure I never leave out one of the places. Like I'm definitely proud of and acknowledge all of me and all of my lines, all of my lineage. Maybe it's because I speak more Hindi than you and do that I can talk to my family members in Fiji really well and we get on really well. and. Now, not back then, but now they, um, you know, they respect that I'm Māori. Like, they asked ask me about my tamako. They let me drink kava and play cards with them, as they wouldn't usually let women do that. Mm-mm. Yeah, like, I drink... Uh, mum probably doesn't know this, <laughs> but I went drinking with my uncles in Fiji. <laughs> like, I, I really enjoy all of me and all of my mum and all of my dad. My
0: life is here. I think I still belong to Wellington, I will live here, my home is here, and uh, I will spend my rest of the life here, I won't go anywhere.
2: I think your home is your kids, to be honest.
0: Yeah, my life is with my kids.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, wherever they will be, Wellington, they will, yeah, (laughs) I won't go anywhere far. Mainly I can't leave you alone.
1: Maybe you need to change favourites.
0: Oh, whatever. No, I still love my baby
2: to the grave, bro. To the grave, I'm a favourite. David's cool at So good.
1: Okay.
4: <laughs> uh, we want to give a huge me to Halima, Hirini, Kirika, and the wider family we got to meet and spend time with uh, from Ranga. Thank you so much for sharing your stories, your experiences. Experiences that a lot of us haven't been privy to mm. growing up in, especially in navigating both te Māori and being an immigrant in this country. Yeah, we're really grateful for the insights that you shared.
3: For having us in your home.
4: Also, just facilitating over many, many years and decades the huge impact you've had on the wider community in Te Whanganui Atara and beyond. Tēnē, te ki kato.
3: You can check out photos and videos of all our families on Facebook at Where Are You From Really, Instagram at Combos with My, and on RNZ's website. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was created, produced, and directed by Julie Zhu and Suraj De Silva. Location recording by Joey Ciasocco. Studio recording by Jill Eva Craig at The Secret Beehive and sound edited and mixed by Emi Pagoni.
4: Our cover image is illustrated by Ngā Jones at Miss Mimo and designed by Sonia Milford. A huge thanks also to Kay Elmers and Tim Burnell from RNZ Commissioning. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. He te nei o